Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James Kay, and with me as always is Chris Bennett. Chris, we have a lot of excellent guests coming on the show this week leading up to the Skies Media Day on Saturday, but I mean, it wouldn't be complete without having our next guest on the pod, Madeline Kenny from the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. You guys are too kind. Too kind. How are you guys? <laughs> Hanging in there. How about you, Chris? Doing all right. Doing okay, Maddie. Well, I'm really excited to talk with you guys today because there's a lot to discuss. And with all the lead up heading into the 2020 WNBA season that, you know, there just hasn't been a ton of positive storylines going into this season. It's nice inching closer where we can talk a little bit more about what's happening on the court rather than just how nervous we are for everyone entering the wobble. So Madeline, from what you've gathered from talking with the team so far, do you feel like the team is adjusting a little bit more now that it's had a little over a week in the wobble? Yeah, I think that they're getting a better idea of what the safety protocols are and getting more of a sense on what the league is doing to keep them safe and to keep exposure to the virus as minimal as possible. Um, and so because of that, I think that they are getting more comfortable. And from what I've heard talking to players and during those um, visual press conferences, that a lot of them do feel like they're in a – if they were going to have a season, this is probably the safest – kind of environment that they could be in. I'm really glad to hear that because I know that Gabby Williams had some concerns before heading to Florida and you know I know that there were some hiccups at the beginning but it does seem like they're starting to clear things up a little bit now. I mean is that the sense that you're getting as well just it's not just that IMG is adjusting this but the league itself is you know trying to get this going for the next couple of months? Yeah I mean you have to give a little bit of a break to the league and to IMG Academy. And like, if nobody knows what a season during a pandemic is going to look like, nobody plans for a season to happen during a pandemic. So a lot of this was just learning on the fly. I know that the WNBA and IMG Academy worked together to address those issues as quickly as possible and resolve some of those situations. I think after James Wade said, after the video of the laundry facility with the mousetraps and stuff surfaced, that players were taken out of that hotel or facility. So they weren't staying there. And that happened like the next day, he said. And so I think that, you know, look, they're, they've been there for a week. A lot of those issues have been addressed. And now we're even seeing some players kind of start to have fun and use some of the amenities that they have at their res or some of the resources they have at their fingertips. Um, you know, Sydney Colson, Diamond Shields are joking about, you know, having a chameleon catching club. I don't even know, are chameleons even in Florida? <laughs> like, I know they were lizards, but, um, like, we're starting to see players, and Cindy's not even down there yet, but we're starting to see players, you know, really feel more comfortable and start to have, you know, as normal of a life as they possibly can, given the circumstances. Now, Maddie, um, I know that she said that we were just talking about how things have changed over the past week or a few days since uh, players and teams have started arriving down. Now, this is a bit of conjecture here, but do you think that conditions improved as players got used to it? Or was there improvement from the facilities managers and the league? And if, if it is the second, would that have been, would that have occurred without uh, players from both leagues, from the W and the NBA, posting on, on social media the conditions that they found when they got there. 
Um, I think it's a little bit of both. And I think it was helpful that the NBA kind of stepped up and some of those players, you know, called out these issues that players were, WNBA players were facing because it isn't fair and it's not an ideal situation. But at the same time, Diamond DeShields had like a John lackey s quote uh, this week where she basically said like, look, we're not here for vacation. We're here to win a championship. We're here to play basketball. And so I think that that kind of puts into perspective that they weren't expecting, you know, some kind of resort lifestyle. They weren't expecting five-star Ritz-Carlton treatment necessarily. Um, They were just, you know, expecting like basic living accommodations. Like I wouldn't want to find bugs in my hotel room or villa, wherever I was staying. And so I don't think what they were asking was too much. I think it was very reasonable. And I think that the league did what they could to address it. And now we can move on and kind of focus more on basketball and the season and all those other things that I'm sure are going to come up along the ways, you know, what happens when a player tests positive, if a player tests positive, how are they addressing, you know, Um, Like the NBA has a hotline to report if anyone is not following protocol, like how is the WNBA going to address those issues? So I think that we're a little bit away from now what life is like settling into the bubble. And now we can actually talk about basketball. I am so excited to do that because there's so many positive things around this team that, I mean, I think this team really can win the championship this year with how much depth it has and how, it wasn't devastated like a lot of these other teams in the W. And so let's talk a little bit about the on-court element of this. I mean, James Wade had some really nice things to say about Azrae Stevens over the last couple of weeks. And he says that he, I think he said what, that he hopes that she's in Chicago for a long time. And one of the things that Chris and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago was whether Cheyenne might get the first nod at the starting and closing lineups due to her familiar, excuse me, for her familiarity with, the system. Do you see Azrae stepping in on day one to take on those minutes that Jantel left behind? Or do you see Cheyenne maybe taking in, um, at least in the first couple weeks of the season, that maybe she is the one that steps in um, into that role? I think that's a really good question. Right now, I think it's kind of an open competition between CP and Azrae Stevens to see who is going to take that starting role. So that's some fun element that we see right now happening, unfolding at training camp. I think that although CP might get the initial nod or might be suited more to take the you know first few starts at that core position because of her familiarity, like you mentioned with the team, you know, James Wade really likes what CP adds off the bench. She was that, that spark. You know, she was a top five scorer on the team. Um, she kind of brings that energy that a lot of teams sometimes miss when they put in their secondary unit. And she's a leader of the secondary unit. So it's going to really depend on, you know, how quickly Azari Stevens can get situated in her role and if, you know, Wade is comfortable taking a – player with the energy and, you know, abilities that CP has off of that unit um, and feeling comfortable putting her in the starting. And that's not to say anything like bad about CP because I love CP. I think that she has a great game. Her, she's super well-rounded, strong on defense and everything, but it's just, you can't really replace that energy when you take her off of that unit. That's a good point. Um, I, re- I like – what Cheyenne's done the last two years, what, we, what James and I talked about uh, when we last got together. 
And I wonder if they're, I, I was thinking of it in terms of, of, of earning a spot, you know, like earning a spot to start kind of similar to Todd Gibson and his time with the Bulls. But there is a lot to be said for that, having a change of pace and not having a letdown in energy or having, like you said, having a spike in energy come off the bench. Are there any players, as you've seen in, in, the, um, in what you've been able to see, who have come into the squad like Sid, like Stella, like Ruthie, who could have a similar effect um, with, whatever t- whatever, with whatever playing time that they get this season? I mean, we know that Sid has the personality. She's a fun <laughs> personality. Um, obviously, she hasn't been down there yet because of her positive test result. I think what I've heard from about Ruthie is that she's just a sponge right now. She's taking everything that, you know, is being thrown at her and just trying to soak it all in. She's been working with CP, Steph Dolson, all of them to kind of get herself acquainted and make this transition into such an abnormal season, especially for a rookie. Um, I don't know if I would put the pressure on a rookie like Ruthie to have to be that leader of the secondary unit and be that, you know, energy off the bench. I think that she can do a lot of good things for this guy um, off the bench, but I don't know if I would put that responsibility on her just because she is a rookie. Not saying that she couldn't handle it, mm-hmm. but I think that you, you never want to overwhelm a rookie because when you do that, then, you know, we've seen this happen before in the NBA and WNBA where if you – put so much responsibility on them, then it's hard for them to live up to these expectations. And they feel like they are playing almost concerned about like not meeting what the expectations are set for them. And instead of just playing the game that they love and that they're talented at, they start questioning things. Of course. No, I get what you're saying. And it's not, it's not necessarily a question of, of having that much responsibility, but just anybody who naturally, like you said, with Sid and the personality wise, like who can come off the bench and just be um, energy, like bouncing all over the place with, even if it's not, you know, drawing up plays for them is going to be around the ball and, and make, make positive things happen. Just has, who has that kind of natural capability that you see right now? Yeah. I mean, you also have, Call on the bench and she was a key mm. spark off the bench last season so she's definitely going to play a role in that and I think you know for being optimistic here she has a potential to make a run at six women of the year mm-hmm. um yet she's due for a breakout season um I think Gabby Williams now that she's playing more of a natural position at the wing I think that in her point Gabby role is not going to be she's not getting as many minutes at the point I guess I could say um I think that she could be a big X factor for the sky this season. Um, you know, those are some other people that I could see really stepping up and do more of a leadership role. Do you feel like it's going to be like last year where Wade is just going to continue to go at the hot hand? I mean, there were so many times last year where he was about to sub someone out, but then they would go on a roll and then he would take the player who was about to sub in off the sideline and back on the bench. I mean, do you think that, he's going to continue to go with the hot hand like he did in 2019? Definitely. And I think that, you know, we've seen that before where, like you said, he's put, going to put a sub in and then somebody gets hot and he's like, never mind. I think he, especially now that he has a year under his belt and he has such a familiarity with this team and he knows, you know, what he can look like. If he looks at Gabby Williams, he can see if 
she's being like playing confidently or if she's like has some reservations to her game and then he can address that if she does and the only reason I say that is because you know Gabby's been really open in the past about not feeling necessarily comfortable shooting the ball or you know looking to pass especially when she was around the three-point range I know she's been working on her distance range shooting for um over the last year but I think that he is going to go with the hot hand he's going to go with you know if somebody heats up he's going to keep him in the game I was thinking earlier about how last year the sky you know the draft picks they brought in Katie Lou Samuelson Victoria McCauley uh, both of whom are, are no longer with the team. And now this year you have Ruthie Hebbard, um, what basically became like a, like I said with James, like a rule five pick and Stella Johnson, just due to the peculiarities of the season. And then bringing in Sidney Colson and Nazare Stevens, just in terms of the, of the draft pick difference, how are these players, Ruthie and Stella, more of a fit for James Wade's coaching style and this team overall. Um, what are the differences in, in how they fit in with the team uh, as compared to last year's draft picks? Um, like, can you, sorry, can you reword that? <laughs> in the way it seems from what we've seen, which is not much, you know, we've, everybody's just gotten their, a little bit of playing time, but it seems, I think, it might be it might be early days, but it seems like there's more, possibly a better fit for um, with the team in terms of where they have Ruthie Hebbard, where they they have Stella Johnson, that might mesh better with what Coach Wade wants to accomplish than the rookies they brought on last season. Yeah, I mean, they were really high on Katie Lou Samuelson last season. If you remember after they drafted, they said that that was their top person on the board when they got to the fourth pick. And so I think it is, like, too early to say. I think Ruthie has a really good potential to fit in, especially with the pick and roll and stuff like that. She can be a key player on both ends of the court. But I think it is kind of difficult because, like you mentioned, I'm not – I can't be at practices. I'm not at – training camp like I was last year you could watch the last you know 20 or so minutes of training camp like we don't have that so it's hard to really determine how it's all going to work out like I said like they're just as high on Ruthie as they were with Katie Lou Samuelson and obviously Samuelson was traded this offseason she never really um meshed well into Wade's system and she didn't get the playing time that maybe she would have wanted and obviously the hand injury set her back sometimes. Right. So I think, it's, I think that's a good question, but I think it's a little too early to determine or to say. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading more into it just because, like I said, we've had such a long break. They, it's, they, for some reason it came across as like a different positive feeling. And but that's, a lot of that's probably just hindsight with how everything turned out last season with, with Lou. But it was, it was something that struck me. Yeah, Wade was really high on Lou, even when, like, some of the stuff was coming out. He, you know, I think it was in August, I did a story, and he was saying how he was looking at, you know, maybe her being a potential backup to Allie Quigley. Allie Quigley can't play right. forever and stuff like that. And obviously the need at the in the front court with, you know, trading her for Stevens, that was a need-based trade. Um, they needed Stevens more than they needed, you know, what Katie Lou Samuelson can provide to the team. And I also think that an opportunity with the wings 
is a great one for her. And so I think it all worked out for the better. But yeah, I think, you know, early in the season, everyone was really high on Katie Lou Samuelson. It just never really clicked, I guess. I was going to say, I think everyone was really high on her. Um, I know there were a few exceptions out there on social media, but I mean, I was really high on Lou. I think that even in her senior year, she never really fully recovered from the injuries that she was dealing with. And that I think Wade kind of bet on, um, again, this is all speculation, but Wade, I think, had a different mindset going into last year. Just they didn't know that they were going to be a playoff ready team necessarily. Like it's different, like with this year where they've been through the ringer, they've proven to themselves that they can make noise in the playoffs and be that playoff caliber team. But last year, I mean, that was his first year, and it was an incredible achievement by him to be able to get this team to the playoffs after a couple of, you know, really tough years for um, for that Chicago, for this guy, honestly. I mean, the Amber Stocks era didn't end all that well. So do you feel like Katie Lou, I mean, just going into last season, that maybe Wade had had a different idea about, like, the long-term plan versus the short-term plan for this team and that, Katie Lou was a little bit of a project just because, I mean, she was coming off injuries and didn't have that much time to recover after the NCAA tournament and, you know, was kind of just thrown into a team that was ready to compete in the playoffs. I think that's a really good way of putting it, that he had long-term goals for Katie Lou Samuelson or along, he was looking into the future, but what this guy need is somebody that's going to impact the game in the present. And so because, because of that and because of just how things started clicking with the team because they it clicked really quickly you know last year at training camp we were talking about Wade implementing his system and being patient with the players getting acquainted to him and um you know the culture shift that needed to happen after you know Courtney Vandersloot said last February February 2019 that you know the team lacked a quote winning culture or whatever and so because of all that there was this idea that last season was going to be a building season but uh-huh. obviously that's not what necessarily happened it kind of worked in their favor obviously the league itself was missing a lot of key stars mm-hmm. um but i think that ruthie has a potential to impact the game this season and that's what the sky could benefit more from than you know drafting a player that they see helping them you know two three four years down the line hundred percent. I think that's what Wade was targeting in the draft. I mean, Chris, you made a good point last week or two weeks ago. Time doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, that you said that Ruthie has a really high floor. And I think that's exactly what this guy needed out of a first round pick this year is someone who can just come in and play five to seven minutes and, you know, five to seven minutes in the playoffs is very valuable. Anytime you have a player that can win you, in you know, even that short amount of time, I think that's super valuable. Um, so, yeah, actually, one thing that I, as I know we're running a little bit low on time now, but I didn't want to let this slip by either. I saw that Sydney Colson is going to have Brianna Taylor's name on the back of her jersey this year. And I was just curious if you knew if any other Sky players plan on doing something like that or have any other plans involving social justice um, for this upcoming season. I just... I was trying to think of ideas of what players could do in the wobble. I don't know how many times I'm going to be able to say that this week, the wobble, but um, yeah, do you have any idea? <laughs> I mean, do you have any idea about what the team might do in terms of that area? Um, 
not just nothing like clear cut. I've talked to several players about, you know, ideas that are going around or one thing is clear is that they do want to do something and whatever they're going to do, Wade and several players have said they're going to do it together. So Gabby Williams talked a lot about just educating, you know, one another and making sure people understand like that this fight isn't just you tweet about it and you move on from it. It's something that we need to continue to keep at the forefront of everything. And so I'm not sure if any other players will have her name on the back. I know for opening weekend, they're going to do that. And um, they're going to wear those warm up t-shirts that say black lives matter on the front and say her name on the back. But I think it's going to kind of, we'll have a better idea of what the team, this guy in particular are going to do all together, maybe in a week or two from now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Outside of the basketball, this is something that I've uh, struggled with as a, as a black sports journalist. Do you think there's the potential still for uh, with this sport and with other professional sports aiming for a return start to the season for people to get distracted or for the, the, the message to get lost just because uh, the people like us who are working in it and the people who are watching and, and following along as fans and as the audience will have another something to occupy their time? Do you think there is a potential as much as the WNBA strives to shed light on those issues, is there a potential for um, people to kind of lose track or lose sight of, of what's important off the court? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the room for potential on that. But I think, like, as reporters, we have a responsibility to continue to ask those questions, you know, and players – the league, the WNBA itself is so progressive in everything that it does for the most part. Um, I know that there were issues in the past where players almost felt like they were being silenced because of, you know, their protest. But I think now that the league has created the social justice committee, players feel comfortable taking a stand and, you know, standing up for what they believe in and voicing their opinions on things and, you know, wearing those warm-up shirts, I think speaks volumes too, because, the Blinks did that in, was it 2016, I want to say, and were fine, though the fines were eventually rescinded. And so I think for the WNBA, it's going to be very prominent throughout the season. Black Lives Matter is going to be on the court. Same with NBA. But I think that I've seen a lot of WNBA players continue to use their platforms on social media to talk about these issues. And I think that because of that, we're going to, hopefully start to see this shift and that that is going to continue to be part of the narrative going forward. That's my hope. But I do see what you mean, Chris, about is it going to get lost when sports return? Are we going to care more about the X's and O's or are we going to continue to keep these issues at the forefront? Especially with some of these other leagues, like, you know, the NBA and WNBA, I think are doing a great job, but then you look at major league baseball that just has this, disgusting past with racism in its sport that I wonder how much it's going to address some of these issues considering that it's typically pretty silent on them and I think it was the Red Sox owner I think it was in 2018 who described baseball as an apolitical sport when it is far from that despite you know the lack of dialogue around these issues um i know it's laughable i know it really is and but it's boston so it's it's understandable <laughs> that's totally fair as well um but i mean i do feel like 
some of these leagues are doing a better job than others in that sense. Um, yeah, I mean, call out the NHL too because, like, they have had a history of, of even as recently as this this break in the season of having instances of racism pop up from their mm-hmm. fan base or, you know, with racism in the locker room and dressing room, like, and what have they done to address this? I know that they might, I believe they issued a statement, but everyone issued a statement, you know, right. is that really making a change? Not, no, no. Not really. it's, it's, Oh, you stand solidarity. You say that, but like, how are you going to show that? And what are you going to do to support, you know, black hockey players who feel like they are not treated the same or they have to deal with way more things than maybe their white teammate, you know? We had that at the United Center two seasons ago, I believe it was. I was thinking about that. Yeah. And so that's just – that's my thing. I I really hope that reporters – you know, covering those beats that haven't been progressive or haven't really said how they're going to have a, you know, social justice initiative or anything like that. Ask questions, well, why? And how do some of these athletes feel about that? Are they okay with it? Are they complacent? Or do they think that there needs to be a change and that it needs to be addressed? And do they want to play a role? Do they want to play a role in it, you know? I think, exactly. And I think that a lot of reporters are hopefully are going to make more of a conscious effort to include some of the things that we've seen and heard over the last few weeks. And, you know, if anything good comes from this is that we're going to see a more, like I just said, a more conscious effort from reporters to implement more of these stories into their coverage, because, you know, I know I'm trying to do it at the local level and sometimes it can be hard, but it's necessary. And it's important to, push the envelope, if you will. And that's what I am looking for in my sports coverage or at all of my coverage moving forward. But, you know, Madeline, I think we are running a little bit out of time here, but I do want to ask one last thing before we let you go. How are you feeling about this team heading into 2020 and their championship hopes? I mean, I know you live and breathe the beat, but just stepping outside of, uh, you know, being a beat reporter with this, how do you feel about the team going into uh you know this season especially if i may jump in with all of the injuries and opt-outs and forced opt-outs that we're seeing now yeah i mean there's just a lot of questions with all of the rosters from a lot of these different teams you know the mystics i don't know what to make of it yet because we're not sure what elana deladon is going to do and Tina Charles, unless that was like announced in the last three hours of recording this, <laughs> I might have missed that. But like, you know, the news about Alana Delazon not getting approved for a medical opt out of the season, that blew my mind, you know, especially with her history and her talking about her complications with Lyme disease. It would be nice. I think I saw somebody and I feel bad I can't remember, was it Curtis maybe on Twitter, you know, mentioned, you know, why don't they give on a Deladon, like a WNBA ambassador role, role yeah, like they do for you know? Um, but going going back to this guy in particular, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic with this team. Because of the lack of, you know, adding outside talent, I'm not saying they needed to add outside talent. They're putting a lot of um, 
trust, or not trust isn't the right word. They're really expecting Diamond to Shield to take mm. her games at next level and to be that elite go-to player that they need her to be. And if she can, you know, elevate her game, become, it's more so about, we know that she can score, we know she's athletic. It's more so about um, just being efficient with that. And if she can, you know, really channel in that efficiency, I think the Sky have a really good opportunity or chance to make a run. With that said, you have to look at, like you said, the rosters around the league and a lot of free agents move this offseason in such an unprecedented fashion. And the Storm are welcoming back Sue Bird in 2018, MVP, Brianna Stewart, you know. So I do think that there's, it's going to be an extremely challenging season. Definitely. Leave it in at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said you're optimistic, James. Like, how, how do you guys feel about it? To be honest with you, with how all these other teams have been devastated by injuries or players deciding to opt out of the season to fight for social justice, I I really like where this team is at right now. I think Diamond can make that jump and that, you know, one thing that I think was not talked about enough last year was just how she seemed a little bit banged up. Like there were moments where she would go down, she would come out for a couple of minutes and then she would go back out on the floor, but the sky really needed her because of all the other injuries that the sky were dealing with last year. And I think that, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but she looks like she's been working out a lot and that she's really ready to take on more contact this season, especially as someone who, you know, is one of the, I think she led the, the team with uh, free throw attempts last year. So, I mean, that's just her style of just slashing and, you know, getting to the line I think that she can make that jump, especially if she has really physically improved. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I am really high on this team. And, you know, I think Azurae really does add another element to this team, too, of being able to take over for Jantel, but also maybe make up for the loss of a Stu Do, who I really wanted to see back, like have her back on this team, because uh, I think she was very important last year. But Can we talk about how poor of timing it was where I write this story about how she <laughs> wants to come back and like she's really happy to come back and then a few days later she gets traded it's like oh did not see that one coming but no I think you're totally right about Diamond to Shield she's so fearless and she's not afraid to take that content contact and I think that's so important for a player in her role and she's also just said that she's been working and improving on her entire game and she said that she's been working a lot, of, especially around the basket, you know, with her back to the basket and stuff. So I think we're going to see her go to that next level. I just am wondering, you know, is it going to be MVP level or is it going to be just short of that? You know, she was an all-star last season. How is she going to build off of that? I think that the future is definitely bright for Diamond. I hope so. I would love to see her. Um, lead this team and just maximizing Vanderquig's window of winning a championship too. They so deserve to get a banner up there just with all that they've gone through with this team. Um, but Chris, do you, I just saw that in the chat that you got to get going right now. Um, do you want to add anything else before we wrap this up? Uh, definitely. It's going to be a lot of where diamond brings what level diamond elevates her game to um i remember sitting on press row and everybody talking about how she was you know she, it, it felt like people were saying she was a superstar and i loved her game and i'd loved it since i'd seen since i'd started going two games and she came on the team 
but I knew she wasn't there yet. And it felt weird that everybody was kind of giving her the crown, but it's, you know, the potential's been there. It was a couple of things that we talked with Matt Ellen Tuck about, mm. about ironing out of her, in her game that would make her a real force combined with her just natural athleticism and ability to get to the rim and finish or just get to the foul line. But I think there's going to be kind of an X factor on Azure Stevens because as opposed to a Stu being a just a tall outside shooter who can go in and get rebounds and provide another outside threat, Azure is kind of a, a, a slasher, just a bucket getter in the mold of Diamond and Kalia, who's six foot six. So you're going to have ideally another person who's going to raise that free throw per field goal attempt rate for this guy and also is going to be a matchup difficulty for teams who are going to have to put maybe a smaller wing to guard her and she has a very nice first step so if she can maximize if 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 she can maximize her potential if she comes off that injury as best she can and then coach Wade integrates her into the office since everything's on this sped up timeline I think Azure Stevens is going to be a big difference maker um, in, if, she's, if she's all the way positive for the sky and that's going to make things difficult for a lot of other teams. I think they're there somehow. It's almost like last season. They're in one of the better positions, even after not making any huge splashy moves because they have continuity, which other teams that are in the playoff hunt outside of Seattle, which is still my pick for, to win, uh, the sky have the continuity that teams are lacking right now. Give me this team. I'm so excited to see what they do. I really think that they have a good shot at winning this thing. I mean, to me, it's all about the depth. But yeah. That game against the Aces will tell a lot. The game against <laughs> Seattle is going to tell a lot because that Seattle defense scares the Jesus out of me. Yeah. Well, and that, like, stretch, I think it's, like, August 6th to August 10th, and they have, I think it's the Mercury, Sun, and then Storm. And it's all within, like, I think they have a day between each game. Yeah. That's going to be brutal. Ooh. But I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a good season. And, you know, we say this every year, you know, the WNBA has so much talent. And so even though you think you know who is going to be a clear-cut front runner this season, teams can surprise you. The Sky were a surprising underdog last season. And they're kind of getting overlooked when people are making power rankings right now mm-hmm. or – Maybe they're not getting overlooked, but um, I think that it'll be really – it's going to be a fun season to watch. And everything is going to, like you mentioned, is going to be expedited because of the shortness of the season. Without doubt. Definitely. Well, Madeline, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Like, we've been wanting to do this for a while, and um, we really appreciate you taking the time and your busy schedule. I mean, you're, you're covering everything right now. It's incredible. So, really, thank you so much for doing this. Of course, anytime. I'm happy to jump on whenever you guys invite me. I appreciate the invitation. So thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. If you want to contact me or Chris, you can always do so by emailing our mailbag, which is the skyhookmailbag at gmail.com. And if you could rate and review the show, we would really appreciate it. You can find it on Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts right now. And wherever you get your podcast, we would appreciate a little feedback on it. Unless it's negative, then, of course, uh, back off. Um, no, not at all. But, yeah, if you want to follow us on Twitter, too, our handle is at Skyhookin, which is S-K-Y-H-O-O-K-I-N. 
And yeah, I think that's all that we have left to plug here. Thanks for tuning in and hope all of you are doing well during this insane time of our lives. Until next time.